You're listening to the School of Reinvention podcast. I'm your host, Roger Osorio. I'm the author of The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm also the founder of The School of Reinvention, a community-based coaching platform where we help people define success on their terms and reinvent themselves to make it happen. I believe that as the years pass, our values, passions, and purpose evolve, and we must reinvent ourselves in order to stay aligned with who we really are and what matters to us. This podcast is all about exploring different journeys to reinvention so that you can learn the strategies for how to successfully launch your next reinvention. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the School of Reinvention. I'm really excited to be here with Sarah Tronco, who is one of my classmates in a book writing course that we took together. Sarah is a licensed clinical social worker and the owner of a psychotherapy practice called Moon Bloom Wellness. They provide online mental health counseling to address challenges such as anxiety, depression, life transitions, relationship issues, and grief. She got involved in the mental health field in 2011 when she began as a volunteer for a community mental health agency. Sarah views life as a creative process where the more we understand ourselves, the more intentional we can be about how we show up in life. Throughout her own life, Sarah has faced struggles with mental health and has personally experienced the feeling of being broken or defective, and she's heard the same sentiment expressed by others in both her professional and personal life. Her mission is to help others create a shift in how they relate to themselves, as if the quality of their life depends on it, well, because it does. Sarah is married and has a daughter and enjoys running, hula hooping, reading, drawing, writing, dancing, meditating, and trying new things. Sarah, thank you so much for being a part of the School of Reinvention podcast and being my very first guest. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to do this with you. Uh, I think this is going to be great. Ever since we started working on our respective books and I got to know about yours, I realized that this topic of yours and even just like the title got me, Wildly Wise, I saw the connection there. And that's, of course, we started talking about what your book was about One of the main reasons why I wanted to interview you for the podcast was because when we talk about the journey to reinvention and, you know, and I even just reflect on my own journey, I recognize all these moments where I didn't necessarily know exactly what to do on like a rational level, but there were moments where I just felt like I knew what was right for me. And there was a bit of a struggle there in terms of, do I listen to the rational brain who thinks I don't know better? Or do I listen to the emotional, which seems to like have a feeling about this? You know, one of the things that I learned looking back is that there were many moments where it was a good thing that I trusted myself. It turned out that there was a little bit more, to use your word, wisdom in there, (laughs) wild wisdom perhaps, that I wasn't aware of. And I think this is an important topic for anybody who's embarking on their own journey to reinvention. Tell us a little more, like in your own words about the book and, you know, the inspiration for it. Yeah, absolutely. When you were reading my intro, you touched on one of the things that has inspired me to write the book, which is, first of all, my own mental health struggle and then being inspired by the work that I do with clients every day and that feeling of being broken and seeing other people feeling that way just how like debilitating that can be. Like it stops you in your tracks. So any problem that you're trying to solve, if you have that like fundamental doubt in yourself, like you're not really able to even solve the problem anymore. You're just stuck in this loop of self-doubt. And one of the ways that I've been able to work through that is learning to relate to myself more compassionately and really looking at the struggle from a different angle Because like you said, there's this emotional part of you and then there's also this rational part of you. And when they are warring with each other, then you have exactly that. You have a war. So 
one of the things that my book does is tries to identify stories where there are people who maybe were ignoring like cues or signals from their bodies and like really leaning into their rational mind or people who at the opposite end of the spectrum were really being pulled around by their emotions and not able to access their rational mind. And so that's where, actually, this is like a dialectical behavioral therapy term is wise mind. So that comes up in my book too. And I give readers tools on how to access wise mind. The book also came at a time for me where I was trying to problem solve. Like I kept running into this wall of feeling broken myself. And, you know, I'm in my early 30s and I've come a long way on my mental health journey. But this is something that's been a recurrent theme is that I need to figure out how to feel confident in trusting my internal wisdom because I know it's there. I've gotten through a lot of like pretty significant challenges. I've accomplished a lot of things that I've set my mind out to do. And I also see this in other people. And there's some clarity that I've gotten in seeing other people who, like as an outsider, I'm, I have a different perspective of them than they do. And I see just like what a beautiful person they are and how like capable and like how much they have to give, but they don't see that in themselves. And so, you know, how can we learn to see all of these beautiful things in ourselves instead of just feeling like we're broken because we're struggling? Yeah, you're absolutely right about the, you know, as a professional in this, you are able to see it in others, of course, uh, more easily. And it's really hard to see it in ourselves. I feel like when I'm helping a friend, I have an easy time, you know, letting them know you're onto something here. Like, listen to yourself, keep going. But when it's with me, I'm like, ah, you know, I'm struggling. Like, do I know enough or am I ready for this? Am I good enough for this? You know, a lot of these different thoughts come to mind. I feel like over time, I have learned to trust myself more and more. Because I've recognized, to your point, you know, you mentioned we all have these moments where we've gotten through a lot. We've gone through a lot and we've overcome a lot and we've triumphed through a lot, you know. And so clearly the evidence is there. You know, we have a good idea for the most part of what we're doing here. It doesn't make life perfect or easy. It just means that we can navigate. We can get through it. If we can listen to ourselves a little more is what I'm getting out of that. And I think that when we get on a journey like reinvention, which often has a significant amount of uncertainty in it because you don't really know what might be next. Usually one of the top questions that I get from people when they are considering a journey like this is, what's next? Or what do I do next? Or what's my first move? Because there aren't very clear answers for that. It's not like hey, Roger, I want to build an online course. And you, I could point you to someone who has like a 10-step framework to get you there. No, it's like, hey, I want to like go from being a marketing professional to, I don't know, being a musician. And I'm like, okay, well, there's like a pretty big change and there, there's no one-size-fits-all solution here. And so I feel like trusting yourself becomes a key part of this so that you can make some progress on the journey. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that Sometimes we also get frozen because we want so much to control outcomes. Like we want to know, I want to arrive at the specific destination. Obviously, it's great to have a concrete goal, but I think especially in life when you're making a decision to enter more into the unknown because like you know you need a change and you need to like switch something up and you have like a general idea of like what you want things to be like. I think that that fear of kind of letting go and and trusting yourself in that process where you're really surrendering to the unknown is hard. I really liked when I was interviewing you and you talked about that kind of like balancing heading into the unknown versus like, you know, strategic planning. You had like a really nice marriage of those two things. And even when you provided that example of 
you know, I want to move from being a marketing professional to a musician, like asking those questions. What is it about being a musician is pulling me? Like, typically, I think, you know, we just want to feel like more alive and engaged in our life and navigating something new will almost always do that. You also mentioned that we're always looking for what's next. I think that that also can provide like a level of detachment from life as well, because it's like that carrot on the stick we're constantly chasing. So that's another thing too, is it's like, while change is important and, you know, life is more about the process, I think that anything, like I always remind people, we are processes, we are not like fixed things, like there's no right way to be. On one hand, we can not be sure what to do next because maybe we're not trusting ourselves or, you know, everything seems so risky and we don't believe that we have what it takes to like navigate change or handle the challenge. And the other end of the spectrum is where you are accomplishing things, but you're then, as soon as you accomplish something, you're like, what's the next thing without really taking time to appreciate everything that you've done and taking inventory of all of the strengths and skills that you have that got you there, which can actually position you better to figure out you know, like, what am I working with as I continue to move forward? So your story about people trying to figure out what's next made me think about that as like a common theme that I see with people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm wondering also when, you know, when I think about my own and reflect on my own journey and those moments where I had to listen to myself or trust myself. And of course, like I said, as I went through the journey, I picked up confidence. I picked up the ability to listen to myself a little bit more and learn about it. But of course, it's the beginning of the journey that's kind of, I think, what brings people maybe to a show like this or to your book or my book where they're trying to learn about like, okay, I'm in this moment where maybe I'm not trusting myself and I am struggling to figure out what that next step is because I'm not even sure and all of that. You know, I discovered also that confidence or maybe that wisdom can also be built over time. And what I have found for me, at least personally, is by taking action, taking some kind of action I start to get more clarity. And along the way, I feel like I do build some more confidence just by trying things out, even though I might not have felt ready for that. But I took the action anyway. And little by little, the confidence starts to get built. And all of a sudden, I'm, I find myself listening to myself a little bit more. I can listen to me more. Yeah, we have to let ourselves fall because then we'll learn that there's always a way to pick yourself back up. And then you get better and better at doing it. And then sometimes you don't fall. And then you're like, cool even like just a successful attempt, like you can successfully try something and not have success in the, you know, the traditional sense of like, I accomplished this, but like, I think it's a success to like put yourself out there, try something that feels scary. And, you know, failure is a, a learning experience. And then you trust yourself to be able to gracefully and confidently handle failure. And that is one of the most valuable things. Now, there's something you do in your book that I want to talk about because this is actually what caught my attention at the very beginning when you started sharing this. And it's the parallels you find between our human lives and our situations and what happens in nature. You know, you mentioned that, and I'm giving a little bit of away, but it's not a spoiler. So it doesn't deserve a spoiler alert. But in the book, people will be able to enjoy these interesting metaphors in nature that might be a place from which we can build a little confidence in ourselves. Tell us a little bit more about that. I'm curious about that strategy and just like the inspiration and everything about it. Oh, yeah. Well, I love a good metaphor. And I also think that learning something new can inspire awe. So I really felt like it would be fun to play with. You know, there's 
all of these things happening in the natural world around us all the time. And, you know, unless you have a specific interest in that, you may not be like learning about it. And one comparison that I make in session a lot for people when they're not trusting themselves is that, you know, like you have a house plant and you've moved it around and you see it kind of continually shift to move towards the light because plants just know how to like move towards the light. Like they don't have a brain like we do. So, you know, in some ways we're like really complicated plants. So if a plant can figure out how to move towards the light and knows what it needs in just like this really fundamentally part of the plant to like know how to do that. Like we have that in us too. Like we know how to find the light for ourselves. And so making that comparison for me, I was like, that would be fun to like play with on a broader level, like doing some research. And so I found a lot of different animals and plants. You know, there's one that shows up in every single chapter. Sometimes there's more than one in each chapter. One that I really like is the immortal jellyfish that when it feels threatened, it can revert back to like a polyp stage. I draw the comparison to what happens to us when we have a trauma history and we feel triggered is that emotionally we can feel like we revert back to an earlier time in our life. And one thing that I try to do is in my book, you know, especially those things that can make you feel broken is like you're trying to live your day-to-day life and then all of a sudden you're triggered and then you're emotionally hijacked and then you're like not responding in a way that matches the situation and you're like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? And uh, so understanding, you know, there's like already a lot of work done on this. So I, you know, I reference the work of others and talk about how it's adaptive to help you develop more compassion to yourself. So my book, it's really just to kind of capture this general sense of like whatever you're going through, If you can understand how it's adaptive, what's the wisdom in the way that, you know, even being triggered, like, you know, my body's telling me that something's wrong, like, let me assess. And even then I developed through my own process of feeling triggered and emotionally hijacked, I've developed a really strong rational brain. Like, I've really built that over particularly the past decade So, and then sometimes I lean too much into it. And so for me, there's been this split and this war between like my rational side and my emotional side. And I'm like, well, I can't trust that emotional side. Like she is bananas. Like I'm not going with her. And (laughs) Just the wild part, not the wise part. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's the wild part. Yes, she's the wild part. And then I've got this, you know, the wise part and the wise part's like, you know, been running the show for a while. But then, you know, but you start to feel like somebody I interviewed in my book talked about like making these decisions from a really rational place and feeling like tension in her body or a sense of unease and, you know, eventually kind of hitting this breaking point. And she went away to a Buddhist monastery and learned these skills to like really prioritize listening to what's happening in your body and trusting that information. So that's been my journey a lot lately is like, and again, this is a dialectical behavioral therapy skill is like between your emotional mind and your rational mind, it's like this Venn diagram and the center is your wise mind. And how do you like sit in that space where you're valuing all aspects of your experience and you're not like trying to like stuff one down because it's too wild? Yeah, you know, this is interesting, this metaphor, this what you said about the Venn diagram and how, you know, you've got the rational and the emotional and that where they intersect, that's the wildly wise part of us. Thinking about that and bringing the two together, one thing that I did a while back, which has helped me so much on my journey to reinvention, was that I set a rule where if I feel this little bit of like tightness in my chest or butterflies in my stomach about an opportunity, and it's a certain kind of feeling in my chest and butterflies in my stomach where I know it's fear, 
fear of just, I don't know, like I might suck at this or this, you know, might not go well or I'll embarrass myself, whatever that kind of feeling. I train myself that if I get that feeling, I have like a deal with myself or a rule with myself. I have to do it now. And so I almost say, I'm like, I'm having this conversation with myself when I feel that feeling. I go, damn it. Now I have to do it. Oh, why did I get that feeling? Because you just ran into the edge of your comfort zone and you're like, I've got to step over the edge and make my comfort zone bigger. You know, and it's like my body telling me like, oh, this is going to be really fun if you do it. (laughs) And I'm just learning to listen to it, the rules, you know, so it's like I'm using the rational and bringing it together with this emotional side so that I can make them work together by setting these rules in advance. And so some of the biggest moments and one of the biggest moments in my life or biggest opportunities in my life was to get involved with this organization called Startup Weekend and become a facilitator for them. And to do that, I had to first attend one of these events. It's a three-day boot camp where you learn how to build a business in three days. And so when I signed up for the first one that I was going to attend as a participant, I bought my ticket like three weeks in advance. I was so excited. Oh my God, this is going to be amazing. Like, you know, it's going to be a fun event. I've heard so many good things about it. Then I had a trip to California, uh, like a little vacation in Napa with my girlfriend at the time. And then we flew back and arrived, I think like the first day of that event. I was looking at the clock and I'm like, okay, it's almost time to go to the event. And I got this feeling like, oh no, like what can I really do at this event? I don't know anything about tech startups and it tends to be more about tech startups. And what can I really bring to any team that might be working on an idea, you know, and taking it from concept to creation and all these voices. And I got the butterflies in the stomach, the tightness in my chest. And luckily I had just made this rule like maybe a year before that. Or, and so when that feeling hit, which it hadn't hit for a while, meaning I hadn't really stepped outside of that comfort zone or attempted to, it was my signal. I was like, damn it. And I remember distinctly thinking, damn it, I have to go now. And so I was just like, well, oh my God. I And I had so many great excuses. Oh, I just came back from a holiday. You know, I need time to kind of recover from the vacation. That was a good one. That was my favorite excuse. I had so many, but this rule I had with myself, this rational rule based on an emotional response kind of said, you got to go. And it ended up being one of the game changers in my life because it actually had so much to do with the rest of my life after that. Somehow jobs have come through that. They've all had a connection back to Startup Weekend. My wife that I know today, we connected because I was speaking at an event, introducing myself, and she was in the audience. I asked by show of hands, is anyone familiar with the event called Startup Weekend? Because I was mentioning that I facilitate these events around the world, and hers was the only hand to go up in that room because she had done it. She stood out for me. I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And we spoke after and one thing led to another. And, you know, we started dating and all of that. I mean, so much has come from that. And I can't help but think, wow, I had to listen to my, thank goodness. I listened to, like I I borrowed, I did a combination of listening to myself and having a good rule to go with it. Tell us more about the intersection of those two. Yeah, and that's something that I was thinking about as you were describing that is, in your professional life, especially when it comes to something like opportunities, kind of being able to recognize like what's your internal no versus like for you, you've identified like what's that fear versus like also recognize when something's a no. And it sounds like you have this rule contained to maybe like more your professional life. I think that considering like the context, right? So anytime we have like a hard and fast rule, it's good to have like so this is in my professional life, so you're probably not going to get into like trouble with that. Like it leads you into like bigger and better things. But in your personal life, I think it's like a little harder and a little muddier, right? 
especially if you have some kind of history with trauma or like emotionally abusive relationships or like you just, you know, like you don't have a ton of like positive experiences to pull from in their life. It can be really hard figuring out how do I build this relationship with myself where I am trusting myself. So one of the things I do in my book too is I provide like exercises on how to access your wise mind, but it takes a while to start to learn like which cues in you mean yes and which ones mean no and which ones mean I'm afraid, but this is exciting. That's so individual because like we need to build experience to figure out like, you know, am I consistently responding in this way to this thing? Like, am I responding in this way to this thing? Because like, I actually like I have the flu and I like just don't feel good. And now I'm thinking that this is like a bad situation, but I really just like ate something weird or I caught a virus or whatever. So... And when I say proceed with caution, I don't mean like don't trust yourself. I just mean like give yourself time and be like gentle with yourself and really listen. Because one of the things is like when you're not trusting yourself, you may not also be giving yourself that much time or like really cultivating a relationship with yourself. So part of the like easing in, like, you know, sometimes you need to get out of a situation really quickly and you'll typically know that. But a lot of times it's okay to kind of like take time to reflect, build in rituals like journaling, meditating, finding people you talk to process things with, going to therapy, going for walks in nature, uh, whether also just like your commute, wherever your time or your pocket of time is, like just starting to set intentional space and just taking note. So it's also like in a general sense, building a relationship with yourself. But if you have a particular challenge too, then like starting to, this is going to sound cold, but like I say, collect data on how you're feeling and just like starting to note, do I notice any patterns? So that was the long answer. The short answer is you've got to get to know yourself and you've got to make space for yourself in order to get to know yourself and, you know, get familiar with like, what is your body telling you in response to different situations? And you know yourself better than anybody else. And, you know, we can continue to get to know ourselves because again, we're processes, we're not fixed things. So it's not like you get to know yourself and then you're done. We are always changing. I think of like my two-year-old who, you know, it's like every like week or so, I'm like, she looks a little different. And, you know, so obvious with a two-year-old because they're constantly changing really apparent ways, but the same is really true for us in more subtle ways. Like, but we're just not noticing, like, because it's, you know, I don't like suddenly have a few more teeth or like another inch of hair, or, like I know a few more words. Although if I wanted to keep learning a few more words, uh, you know, every week I could you get my point. You know, it's interesting that what you said about this idea, I think it starts and it is the foundation of getting to know ourselves. The key there is like really getting to know ourselves because Going back to my example, I feel like knowing myself also meant the difference between knowing whether these feelings are happening because I should stay away versus I'm afraid because I'm scared of failing or something along those lines, but it's actually good for me. And there's a distinction there, but you can only maybe feel confident in that distinction if you know yourself. Somebody told me not too long ago, actually, uh, you know, when you say that whole um, statement, onward and upward. You know, when people say that, somebody told me my preferred version of that is inward and upward. And I really like that a lot. And what we were talking about was how like everything is about go, go, go. And it's always about like, we got to keep moving. We got to keep moving versus stopping and taking a moment to really think and reflect to your point, journal, meditate, like reflect and take that time to go through those exercises to get to know yourself better or to assess like how you're feeling about something, whatever that might be. I was posting about that. And then he just sent me a DM and he said, hey, by the way, you know, my version of that onward and upward is inward and upward. And I thought, wow, I like that a lot. 
Because when we're looking at decisions for our businesses, for our relationships, whatever it is, yeah, I mean, looking inward is so important, listening to ourselves, becoming a little bit more familiar with who we are. So I think one of the questions that comes up that I'd love to get your take on is how can we get to know ourselves better? What are some of the strategies that you recommend and perhaps anything that is in the book that you think is applicable here? Mm, Yes. One thing that I notice a lot in myself and with the people that I work with and with my friends and, you know, like we're all pretty judgmental of ourselves. Like we're like our harshest critics. So really like noticing And again, I'm just going to say like journaling a lot because I process that way, but it might be through talking to people or just like reflecting, you know, like there's no right or wrong way. But I personally think that's great to journal because then you also have a log and you can look back and kind of like ground yourself in that. But like, what are my judgments of myself? Like, what are the kind of things that I have on repeat all the time that are coming up that the way that I'm viewing myself? Because that's not who you are. And so like, first and foremost, getting in touch with like, who do I think I am? Like, who do I keep telling myself I am on autopilot? Or maybe you have like, you know, inflated sense of self in areas too. Maybe we're not always being super critical, but like, maybe I think I'm great at a lot of things, but I might not actually be, maybe I think I'm super nice, but like, I don't have that many friends and like, people don't want to hang out with me that much. Like, you know, in any area, uh, in any way, like, what do I think about myself? And then this is like a therapy exercise too, is kind of like, What's the evidence for those things? You know, just asking, what is this based in? Is this an internalized voice that I've gotten? Is this criticism or judgment of myself based on some external standard that I feel like I need to reach? So really getting clear on that. And then you can start to recognize when it's coming up, like, oh, there's that judgment. That's from this place. Or, you know, there's that my inner critic is coming up. That's a part of yourself. So getting to know the parts of yourself that you don't like hanging out with that much, but they're there all the time anyways, and not being afraid of them and extending compassion to them too. Because one thing is that like those aspects of yourself, while they can be pretty cruel, what are they trying to accomplish? Like, So if I'm worried about external validation or meeting these standards, I might be afraid of judgment. Like I might want to be successful because if I'm not successful, then X will happen. So What are your beliefs behind not being those things? And just trying to like reassure those parts of yourself. Like, you know what? I know you're afraid of like not doing X, Y, Z because you think that makes you a failure. That will be embarrassing or uh, other people won't understand. But, you know, I'm here. I got you. You know, that's your wise self kind of guiding you through it. So befriending the parts of yourself that are hard to be friends with and then really cultivating and leaning into that, you know, your wise self, like that part of yourself that's sometimes buried under there, but that will start to emerge the more that you provide like a safe, soft space for it to grow and flourish. And that's that like spending time with yourself and paying attention to what feels fun. What do I like doing? Like I had this therapist when I was in college and there's one thing that she said to me that always sticks with me because Everything that I did just seemed like so, this is probably funny for anybody that like went to college with me if they heard this because I was like a mess in college. My OCD was in overdrive. I was ruminating on everything, like everything that I did and said felt like really fucking heavy. Uh, She's like, you know what? Life is like a playground. You know, just if you can be playful about it, like it's not that serious. Like you go over and you try the swings. You may not like the swings. Like, you know, you go do something else. Like, you know, you have a disagreement on the playground. Like you go, you know, hang out with somebody else. Like, and I was like, oh, there was like something in me when she said that, that just felt like this relief. And 
it just stayed with me. And, you know, that attitude of playfulness is like really important to me. And if I notice myself, like I'll notice things in myself, like my body is tense, my chest feels tight. I feel just kind of like shut down or like a little rigid. Like I notice kind of when I'm in different modes and then that's a cue to me. Just like you said, when you start to feel certain things in your body and certain opportunities, it's a cue to you to like do maybe the opposite thing, right? Like, nope, I'm going to do this because it's telling me not to. Like, so if I'm feeling like maybe I'm taking myself too seriously or just being kind of uptight, because you don't even necessarily notice when that like hypercritical part of yourself is active. And as soon as I notice it, and the more you spend time with yourself again and pay attention to your body, the more you'll be aware of when you're shifting between different states. Then I do the things that help me kind of move out of that space. So it might be like a few deep breaths, It might be finding a way to like laugh at myself in that moment uh, because I think not taking ourselves too seriously is really important. You know, one of the things that you said a little bit ago was this idea of like when you were telling people how they might be able to reflect or do this work to get to know themselves better. I think you said something really important that connected with me in a big way because I feel like you gave me permission to do something and it was in how we do that, whether it's journaling or talking things out with others and all of this, which is so important because I'm extracting these ideas from you in terms of how to go about doing some of these things. And this is one that I've constantly like had issues with in terms of thinking about, gosh, I should be journaling. Everyone says it's like the way to be, it's the thing to do. And, and yeah, there's moments in my life where I do more writing and then there's others where I don't do as much. I think that, you know, this is really empowering when you tell people that, you know, it might be different for everyone. For me, it's actually very conversational. What I would have written down in a journal is what I talk to my wife about. That's like, for me, the equivalent of writing in a journal. And I love it because she kind of gets that. And so she just asks a few little questions just to kind of help continue that flow of thoughts and reflection, but without really jumping in and taking over with her own ideas because she's going to reflect later that evening her way, which is writing down stuff. And then she's got her notebook right by the bed, and then she'll go and do that. So I had my chance to do it, you know, verbally. And I did find a little bit of a way to cheat in terms of having it logged in. When she's doing her writing, I ask her, hey, can you squeeze in this note for me? (laughs) This way later, like 20 years from now, when we're reading this, I can remember that. Yeah, that's right. May 13th, 2022. You know, this is what I was going through. This is what I was thinking. Oh my (laughs) God, I love that. And she'll make a plug for me. So I get a plug in her journal. So that way, at least it's written somewhere. But the reflection piece, you know, for me, I feel like verbal is always one of the best and most effective ways I've just had this battle with myself. Like, I have to write it down. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, sometimes I write and that's great. But for me, writing also includes my emails because I can go back to emails from like 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And for me, that's like, a. am like, oh, look at that. That's what was concerning me back then or that bothered me back then. That's really interesting. You know, know, I email myself sometimes. Like if I'm not in a, Ah, I want to get my journal out. I also really love the idea of like outsourcing your journaling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to somebody else, like, uh, delegate, delegate, delegate. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get away with too much there, but, you know, I get the occasional, like, sentence or two in there. I'm like, babe, add this real quick. And <laughs> she's like, all right, I got it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's really important to me to, like, not make people feel wrong about what they feel like they have the capacity to do at any given time. So if somebody's not a journaler, you know, I'll check in and be like, if they express that they want to do it and it would be beneficial, like, what do you think is getting in the way of that? But like, I don't want to make somebody feel like a failure because they are like not 
feeling compelled to journal is just not fitting into their life. Like, I know for me, I have periods of time where, like, I spend significant chunks of time each day, like, journaling and, like, meditating and doing self-reflection. And then I have stretches of time. Sometimes it's, like, years. And I'm trying to get, like, more consistent with this because I think it's better to, like, not go years without, like, doing more active self-check-in. But, like, I think that there are periods of time where we're experiencing and maybe we're kind of more like on, not necessarily like on autopilot, but, you know, we're operating from like our programming. And what by when I say that, I mean, just like, you know, our life experiences, like the culmination of who we are up until that point without really like actively engaging with it or reflecting on it, you know, so I guess kind of like on autopilot. But during that time, like there's periods of suffering and there's periods of growth and there's things that are successful. And then it's, you know, again, it's that like stopping to take inventory and do like that check-in of like, okay, like, where am I at? So you might have, like, a different rhythm with it, too. You know, I hear people say, like, oh, I used to be great at journaling, and I'm not anymore. And it's like, it's maybe not that you're not great at journaling, but, like, you might have seasons of your life where, like, that's more appropriate and it makes more sense. So there's no, like, one right or wrong way. I think that there's value to having consistent habits each day, of course, but I think that, you know, finding the balance between being intentional about the habits that you're building around getting to know yourself, but also just trusting what feels like natural, like, and offers a sense of ease while still being like challenging in a way where you feel like you're engaged with life. Yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said about there's different seasons in our life where, you know, different moments where journaling might be the right solution. There was a moment that I'm thinking about, and I wonder, maybe it was partly because, you know, before I met my wife, a period where I was single, And I did a lot more of that writing. I remember I I was teaching middle school math in the Upper East Side in Manhattan, and I was close to Central Park, and I would go to the uh, reservoir, and I would just sit there with like a little notebook, and I would just write challenges I was going through, whatever was going on at the moment. And that worked then. And now I feel like that writing, I can do it verbally with someone else. And so that works, you know, for now. But yeah, you know, it depends. And, And, you know, something that blew me away We know Leonardo da Vinci, a lot of his work, thanks to his notebooks. And notebooks that sell for like, I think there was one notebook that Bill Gates bought for $85 million some time ago. And this was a while (laughs) ago. So imagine, dude has got his notebooks going out, like his journals and notebooks, like selling for $85 million. So you think he must have been amazing at taking notes, always taking notes. He didn't really start taking notes until he was close to his 40s. That's when Da Vinci started. And those are the notes that we go crazy for. Those are the notes we spend $85 million on. So it's really interesting because that for me was also kind of like, okay, that's cool. It's good to know that even the great Leonardo da Vinci did not take notes ever since he was like, you know, 20 or something like that. He really only started like as he was closing in on his 40s. And that's when he really started embracing note taking as, you know, something for him. Perhaps he found that this was the moment. Now it served a really good purpose and it was his way. That's something that comes up in my book too, as I talk about just patience and trusting your timing. And you can't compare your journey to somebody else's in the way like of, is my journey successful because like this person accomplished this sooner than me or they like discovered this part of themselves sooner than me. Like, it's not about that. It's about, you know, like if you can live your life in a creative and engaged way. And I say creative, I mean like, you know, feeling a sense of like inspiration. And when you are engaged with yourself and the world around you, there's something like more dynamic about the way that it feels to live each day. Like you feel, you know, there's like a passion when you're exploring yourself and letting yourself like come into the light. And so one story in my book explores 
somebody who is transgender but didn't realize that until, you know, they were 40. And so some of their struggle was, is this too late? And that got a little bit in the way, but it didn't stop her. She is doing amazing and just really coming into herself. And it's really beautiful to see. And it's like such an honor to work with her. So I love that Da Vinci story because exactly, like it's never too late. And also, I know you said Da Vinci was about 40 and the client I just mentioned was about 40. You can do these things when you're like 70 or, you know, like as long as you're alive, there it's never too late to change or try something new. Or, and again, like some of these things are like external manifestations of the things we're doing internally too, right? So it's not about like, you know, the notebook per se. We're engaged in this internal process and then there are like fruits of that. And so not getting too attached to outcomes as much as like, you know, valuing at least just as much the process of that internal exploration and what results from that is, you know, these flowers that blossom from your internal journey. That's a big one, I think, what you said about timing, because it's, I know one that I've struggled with quite a bit, you know, many times thinking, gosh, I'm so late to this. And, you know, so many people are doing things, whatever the thing might be at younger ages. But then, you know, I've had this, I was going to say battle, but I would say it's more like a constructive conversation with myself about this. Where when I look at the facts, and I love how you said something earlier about, you know, it sounds very like a little strange maybe when it comes to ourselves, but capturing data. And so I do, I try to look at the facts and I go, well, if I look at the facts and I capture the data about my life, then you know what it is? I've done other things that mattered to me when I was younger. And that was important to me when I was younger. And yes, now I am, you know, 41 and I'm doing this, you know, and and yes, of course, I could say, oh, wouldn't it have been nice if I would have started a podcast when I, 10 years ago when I was 31. Of course, that would have been nice. But you know what? I was becoming a speaker at that age. I was doing other things around that time. You know, I was getting onto stages that I never thought I could get onto. And I have to remind myself that there are some data points here. There are other things I did, and those things mattered a lot to me. They're special memories. But of course, it's easy to forget them when you're only focusing on the thing you didn't do, you know? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, and that's, like, sort of what we were talking about earlier, too, is, like, this, you know, what's next? Like, what I'm doing isn't enough. Like, why haven't I done this yet? Like, that that sense of, like, not appreciating everything that you've built on. And I also want to follow that up with, if you're, like, I'm arriving late to this, and you're looking back for data points, and you don't have a ton of data points that are, like, yeah, I accomplished all this stuff. Like, maybe you were really struggling, like, 10 years ago, and you're just kind of, like, getting to a point where you can start to accomplish some of the things that you've had envisioned for yourself in your life. Like, there's so much learning that we do through struggling and through overcoming things that there are plenty of data points for things that you accomplish in those windows too. It's just not those shiny things like, I got a new job or like, I, you know, I got promoted or I got married or I like made this beautiful thing or I invented something, whatever it may be. It might be like, I learn to manage my mental illness or I survived like the loss of a loved one and I'm finally learning how to live with my grief. And so now I finally feel able to do this other thing. Like all of our experience really adds like richness and texture to our lives. And that's kind of the other part of the spirit of my book is that like no matter what you're going through or the pace that you're moving at, your experience is rich and textured. And when you're comparing it to other people or you're being really critical of yourself and just like viewing your experience as 
a struggle or you're feeling like you're broken, you're kind of missing the point. Things can be fixed and you are not broken. Like there is beauty in struggle and there is purpose in struggle and your struggle adds depth. And yeah, I think that that's a really important thing too, is just appreciating the depth that we get through our struggle. Yeah, I like what you said about, you know, the richness and texture of our lives, you know, and that comes through the good and what you might call the bad, if we're going to give it a label. But our lives are made up of all of this. And we've had our own set of experiences that provided a richness and a texture, just like I stated some of them, you know, for me when I was younger, those things provided a lot of richness and texture. And I feel like sometimes we don't, I guess, give that the credit it deserves. And it's not always, to your point, a promotion or a big raise or, you know, like whatever it might be, getting married or something like that. It could just be like, hey, you know, I made a big decision or I made a decision that I've been struggling with for a very long time. And I finally took action on something that has nothing to do with a big win or money or fame or yeah, it might be like I left a friendship that didn't feel good for me or, you know, I've been working on repairing relationships with my family or I, um, yeah, like just those things that slowly evolve over time sometimes. And you, again, that's like part of tuning in to yourself and paying attention. Like, especially like if I'm working with younger adults, sometimes I often see like a shift in, you know, their social life from the time that they're in college to the time that they're an adult and just like their self-concept that changes with that. And like, what does it mean about me that like my social life is much different now? And, you know, I, I see that often framed as like a loss or like a failure, like because, you know, more friends equals better, which isn't always true. But instead it's, I try to like help them recognize no, this is just like you're entering another phase of life and you're getting a better sense of like who you are and where you naturally settle out socially. And if you're feeling like a deficit, then, you know, we can address that. And if you're feeling like you're trying to compensate and like reach this goal of having a really flourishing social life, but it doesn't feel comfortable for you, then maybe you scale back. Like you, again, that's that external standard of what you think something should be. And then sort of coming back to yourself and figuring out like, who am I now? That was an example that came to mind too, because it's such like a clear example of like college is like this built-in social life. And especially now with people working remotely too, I definitely see that that's something that comes up is like the removal of some of these natural social networks that people are plugged into like through their work community and stuff. And, you know, how do we redesign our social lives when we're remote and we're isolated and we're craving that? That's kind of like a whole different topic, but yeah, I mean, one of the things that I'm hearing here that really aligns with a big part of the message that I'm trying to bring is pursuing success that's defined on our terms, success that we define. And you mentioned things like maybe part of the richness and texture of our lives comes from ending a friendship that's not serving us well anymore or, you know, maybe harming us or mending relationships with family or rebuilding or strengthening those relationships that might have deteriorated over time. That was a big one for me. Having lived away from home for so long, family became kind of like a secondary thing to me. And so as of like around 2014, 2015, I really made this decision like this is going to be success for me is building this out. And so that's what I focused on a great deal. And that was really important. And so this richness and texture is different for everyone. And I think that that's kind of like how we recognize that it's not even maybe a matter of timing. It's not like, oh, we'll all get there in our own time. Maybe it's we'll all get what it is that we want when we want it if we pursue those things 
that we care about rather than pursuing something simply because somebody else has done it or I'm like, oh, I better catch up because it could go the other way too, right? Maybe I'm 41, but I see somebody who's 50 and a lot of people who are 50 doing a thing. And I'm like, oh, I better get on that because I don't want to be 51 and not be there, you know, because they're going to already be there and I'll be behind. So it could go both ways, right? It could be like after the fact where I feel like I'm behind or it could be like, oh, gosh, I better go do that thing that I don't even want to do. I better pursue that success I don't even want. Like, I better go get that VP role or I better go join that country club or whatever the thing might be that society or someone else has defined as their version of success. But if it's not aligned with what I want, is that the richness and texture that I'm looking for? I'm not even sure I'm going to call it rich and textured. (laughs) It'll be somebody else's richness and texture. No, absolutely. I think it can start to become like mechanical, right? Because you're not feeling like intuitively connected to it. Like you don't actually have the passion for that. You have the passion for appearing to be successful in a certain way or to appearing to be sort of like on track in a certain way or having this thing that seems to have this, you know, other value. But I think that the richness and texture can come from like, let's say you were 40 and you're like, I want to do this thing by the time that I'm 50. And then you're 50 and you're like, oh my God, like what did I just spend 10 years doing? But when you recognize that there's richness and texture to be gotten from being willing to admit that to yourself and then like learning from that experience. So it's not without purpose. And you might look back at that time and then feel regret. But again, it's all learning. It's all like informing how you meet yourself. And and really, actually, it is about meeting yourself and then staying with yourself throughout your journey and kind of like, paying attention to what you desire, what makes you passionate. like, And I think we are so inundated with messages about what's worthy of our time, you know, the people who we view as like worthy and deserving and we don't view ourselves that way. And that like social comparison that ends up just not being useful at all. And that's the inner work of like getting back in touch with your wise mind is like, why do I want these things? And then that paying attention to your body. What does it feel like in my body to pursue this? Is it that excitement, like I'm expanding my comfort level? Is it that kind of discomfort? Or is it like, oh my God, I don't even want to do this and I'm just dragging myself through it because I feel like I should for some reason and I can't even remember why anymore. Yes, this is, I think, something that applies to a lot of people when it comes to, and I know for sure it applies to me, when it comes to yearly goals. You know, when you start a year off with all these goals and you're super ambitious and excited, I'm going to do all these things. And I noticed a pattern after so many years that, you know, I set all these goals and then I only get a certain number of them done. And it's not all of them. Um, maybe it's half the list. And of course, rather than celebrating the half I got done, I'm beating myself up for the half that I didn't do. Oh, no, another year went by where I couldn't get everything done that I said I was going to get done. But one of the patterns that I observed as I really reflected and did that inward work, I realized that the things I didn't do were the things that I was least interested in. They were things that tended to be, they seemed like a good idea at a time when I wrote it down. Maybe because somebody that I look up to was doing it and I thought, ooh, I'm excited now. I want to do that too. It was just a momentary thing. It was more like in the moment I wanted to do it. It's like you're shopping and you're tossing something in the cart because like I'm getting a bunch of other stuff anyways. So like, why? It was an impulse buy. It was an impulse goal. It was an impulse goal. That's what it was. It was an impulse goal. And I took it on. But the problem is that when you take on those impulse goals, like we don't know the difference, like as we march through the year and then get to the end and reflect because we give them all equal weight. I started learning to recognize that. No, 
you know, I got to be a little tougher about what makes it onto that list. And my list is much smaller now. I remember actually a conversation with my coach back in 2015 where he looked at all the things I had on there. He's like, well, it's an exciting list, but there's a lot here. <laughs> and, and and he also said, and FYI, out of the 15 or 16 goals you have, like 13 or 14 of them are professional, like in that professional category, not Family, not spirituality, not learning, not growth, not development, not finance, not health. Interesting. <laughs> it's yeah. like, he's like, it's mostly in one thing. And as the years went on, I started to be more selective about what makes it. And this year, I think only three things made it. And one was the book that you and I are both on that journey working on. The book was one of the goals or the outcomes. Two was the School of Reinvention launching that. And three was my relationship with my wife because we had just moved in last year together for the first time where we lived together. We had done almost five years uh, long distance when she was in Europe and I was here in the U.S. So I'm like, you know, beginning our beautiful life together and what we defined is, you know, and setting that vision and then working towards that. And that was it. And it's like the best goal setting I ever did. It took like not very long because it was already in me. It, it it was like the easiest set of goals to come up with. I didn't have to go shopping for them, risk buying on impulse, none of that. These three things are the only things that matter to me right now. And oh, the fourth one actually has a lot to do with my family, but I lumped in a lot of that with my wife too, kind of because a big part of that was also introducing her to the family, making like where we're all like, becoming a family here because it's her first time living in the U.S. and all that. And I, I wanted that connection. So I saw that all as one. So that's why I mentioned it. But that was it. Like for me, when 2022 comes to an end, I will look back. And as long as those three things have been met, I can celebrate. I can say that was awesome. Those are the three things that mattered to me. And anything else would have just been like extra, would have just been for the sake of throwing in something that seemed exciting or whatever it might be. But I love having less focus, like less areas of focus and just crushing them and making them bigger, making them more exciting and more meaningful to me. And then, you know, imagine like 10 years from now, that's some richness and texture that I can be proud of, you know, regardless of what's happening with other people who are my age at that point in time, who are in their 50s. And maybe they're, hey, you know what, that's your definition of success. Mine, I got it. Like, I, I'm living it. Yes. Yeah. I, I really like, I'm hearing that it's, you know, the simplification of the list too. But, you know, and then when you have fewer items that you actually really care about, then you can spend more time and you can pour your heart and soul into it. And that's the richness too, is like, you know, now I'm not like scattered among 16 goals or however many goals it is. And that kind of keeping things simple is something that, I often try to remind myself of because I am an overthinker. You know, I, I know a lot of us are overthinkers. I have been told this by other people, like, stop thinking so much. I'm like, yeah, I know if it were that easy. But, you know, it's not that hard either. Like, I know how to do it because I've done it before, basically. So what I remind myself of is, like, anytime things feel, like, super complicated and I'm just, like, mining over, like, the excruciating details of something and it's, like, agonizing, I'm like, this is probably, like, also a lot more simple than I'm making it. There's, it's like, a simple dimension where there's, like, ease and then there's, like, the really complicated, like, you've zoomed in under a microscope and you don't even know what you're looking at anymore level when I notice that, I find myself zooming out. And so I, I just, when you were describing like your shift and how you approach your goals, it reminded me of how I approach like my thought process sometimes. 
Well, I, I'm absolutely loving this conversation. I feel like we could go on like another hour or two probably easily, but I want to be mindful of keeping this to right about an hour. And I want to close out with something that I, I was lucky enough to get a preview of your intro. Uh, so thank you for sending me that because I know nobody else has gotten that yet. So I felt honored to get to read that. And if you don't mind, I want to share this one little snippet that I grabbed from the intro because it, there was just something there like that really connected with me. And I thought, you know what, let's read this aloud and then uh, we'll wrap up. But the snippet that spoke to me was, there can be a sense of peace within the messiness of our lives when we shift our orientation to it. Instead of struggling against what is, we must look to ourselves with an attitude of curiosity. When we try to understand ourselves, we can make our struggle purposeful. And I think... That is just a beautiful, beautiful statement. I mean, it really sums up what I think we've talked about. When we look to get to know ourselves and we look inward, I love this idea of we make our struggle purposeful. And that's what I have totally felt on the journey is that the more I got to know myself and be gentler with myself and not beat myself up over certain things like you stated earlier, the more I can appreciate the struggle. And I love this idea in your intro. Yeah, thank you, Roger. And I liked that you kind of isolated that particular area because that really captures like the spirit of what I'm trying to go for in my book is that it's okay for life to be messy. And in order to be kind to yourself, you don't have to be doing things perfectly. You know, like you can have done like some horrible things and, you know, like you still deserve to be compassionate and kind to yourself because I think that that's the first step in healing is like, you know, just seeing yourself where you're at and accepting yourself. Not that you don't make changes, but when you make changes from a compassionate place of understanding, they're going to be much more productive than when you're making changes from this self-rejecting, really critical space. So, you know, no matter who you are, where you're at or what you're doing, it's okay, you're okay, and you deserve self-compassion and kindness. And, you know, that's always like the first step in any journey that's worthwhile is being really kind to yourself. I love it. I think that's the perfect closing to this awesome conversation. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with me about this. And I mean, this helped me tremendously in terms of just reflecting on some of those stories I shared, because these are stories obviously I've shared with others and I've thought about, but through the perspective of this conversation, I feel like I extracted a little bit more from those same experiences than I had before. And I think um, this is something that can only make the journey even richer and, uh, you know, full of more texture, beautiful texture that we can add to it. You've got your book coming out in September. So there will be a link included in this episode for, you know, when it's time for pre-order and all those kinds of things. Because I think you already sold out the first batch. I did. You did. So uh, unfortunately, we can't tell people like sign up now to buy like another copy. But no doubt when it's ready on Amazon and for pre-order, then, you know, we'll have that link in there. You know, any other places where you want to point people to um, before we wrap up? My website is moonbloomwellness.com. I'm licensed in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, but I have a blog there with some articles that I've written. I haven't written any since I started writing this book because, you know, that's a lot of writing to do. Um, I also have Instagram at moonbloomwellness. And yeah, feel free to follow me or reach out if you have any questions or thoughts about. All the links will be available on the page. So everything will be in there. We'll make sure to add that. Thank you again, Sarah. 
totally appreciate this time. And perhaps uh, we'll do another episode together once the books come out. Yeah, because then that would I, be no awesome. doubt our perspective will be different after revisions and editing is complete. Yes, yes. Oh, that would be awesome. Thanks, Roger. And thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Reinvention podcast. Again, I'm your host, Roger Osorio. If you're ready to start your journey to reinvention and want to walk the path with others, visit www.rogerosorio.com and go to the School of Reinvention to check out for yourself how a community-based coaching platform can help you begin your next reinvention. You can also go to rogerosorio.com to purchase my new book, The Journey to Reinvention, and receive some exciting bonuses. Until next time, make your day great.